Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 12. Let's dig into God's Word. And you know, uh, it seems somewhat fitting this morning for the, um, for the text that is before us. Uh, it's amazing how, how God works. I didn't really think about that till just now and what Paul had mentioned about, about um, the holiday season and stuff like that. It goes right along with the message this morning. Um, as I scramble to put something together. Uh, so hopefully that's something uh, you'll find meaningful here this morning as we share a few things on John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. This is now the beginning of the Passover week, Jesus' final Passover, as He comes back to Jerusalem for the last time. Six days before the Passover, John tells us, so within two weeks, Jesus will be dead. And uh, so these next um, uh, ten verses, or I guess nine chapters, I should say, of the Gospel of John will be all about those last uh, ten days or so, or thirteen days of, of the life of Jesus. Um, and so we'll start that here this morning in the 12th chapter with a dinner. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And God's inspired word reads, Jesus therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was laid, or where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was in it, what was put into it. And therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And the large crowd of Jews then leaned, learned that he, that Jesus was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to dead also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Father, I ask a blessing upon uh, the reading of your word. And now, Father, would you uh, corral our thoughts um, as we as we focus in upon this these few verses, uh, Lord, would your your Spirit illuminate this text for us? Would it open our hearts and our minds as uh, to the word that you would have for us this morning? I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. A tense dinner party. We've all had them, and we've all been to them. Tense dinner parties. Tis the season, the holiday season. Tension can put a lid on the festivities we all want to enjoy. You know, politics. All dinner parties are typically made up with folks who, who differ in politics and religion. Maybe lifestyle uh, choices are made that we disagree with. All these things must be navigated and are often a part of most dinner parties or family dinners. 
And you may ponder the question, how soon can I get out the door without being noticed or without being rude? Our text today may be taken from just such a dinner party. I mean, let me introduce to you the, the guest list. First, there's, there's Jesus. The reason this party is given in the first place, it's Passover season and Jesus is back in town after having raised Lazarus from the grave. Certainly a cause for celebration. Then there's the two sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. These sisters have differing views of dinner party behavior. One sister focuses on work it takes to, for a successful and well-organized dinner. And the other focuses on the entertainment for the, for the fun and memorable dinner party, even if her actions are a bit questionable, if you know what I mean. The list also includes Judas Iscariot. Every dinner party must include a disgruntled complainer. Who keeps inviting this guy anyways? All he does is scrutinize everything and, of course, complains on how things are done and especially the cost of the party. The guest list also includes, or, or actually it doesn't, but it always seems to happen those who just show up. You try and keep it quiet, but they always have a way of finding out. And so this morning... We will take a closer look at the three dinner party guests, only three of them. We'll look at Martha, and we'll look at Mary, and then we'll look at Judas Iscariot. And so first, we want to look at Martha. She's introduced here in verse 2 first. And, and uh, Martha, it says, so they made Jesus a supper because he was coming to town. It's an appropriate thing to do. And Martha was serving. And Martha was serving the dinner there. And of the two sisters, Martha, she was the practical one. Martha was always working. Martha was always uh, working and always hustling and always bustling and always putting the party together, making sure everyone is taken care of. And she expected her sister to be just like her. Martha had only one language, Martha only understood one thing, and that was work. That was service. That was serving. That's how Martha rolled. That's how that's what made her tick. That's what gave her energy. She was a servant. She was serving other folks. In, cha in fact, um, Luke chapter uh, 10, verse 40, Luke had recorded this for us. It said that Martha was distracted. With all her preparations, this was at another dinner party that Jesus was at. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Now, you may have a sister, and this may resonate with you. I have six sisters. I won't make any comments about them. But maybe you can relate with what Martha is saying in this particular thing. And at times we can be very critical of Martha. At times we can be critical of Martha because she's such a hustle and a bustler and she's always working. And it seems like maybe in some instances anyways, she's complaining because she's all alone and, and nobody will be there to help her. We may be critical of Martha sometimes, but thank God for Martha's, right? 
How else is things going to be organized? How else are things going to happen if there's not a Martha? Proverbs chapter 31, a proverb that you probably heard of, it gives us a description of a hardworking woman. And I'll just mention one little phrase from the 13th verse when the description of the Proverbs 31 woman is that she works with her hands in delight. I think Martha certainly understood Proverbs 31. Martha's love language was service and serving. And all she did, and this is all she did, was serve, and she did it with all her might. And I believe the Scriptures would tell us she did it for Jesus. She did it for Jesus, her Lord. And second, we want to take a look at, at, at Martha's sister, Mary. Now, 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 Mary and Martha, they might have been sisters, but their characters were certainly not the same. Or the way they operated, the way they rolled, the way they functioned was quite a bit different. Mary, Mary was all in. She didn't care what others thought about her. She didn't care what others thought about what she did. She gave all she had to God, to the Lord. And we quickly uh, are headed into this Christmas season. And as we quickly head into this Christmas season, I was, I was reminded of the little Christmas story when you think about somebody giving all. And I was reminded about the gift of the Magi. You may be familiar with that little short story. I'm not exactly sure what the point of that story is, but this I do know, <laughs> is that there was two people that were deeply in love, and they gave all they had to each other. Della had this beautiful hair that was her pride and her joy. Her husband, Jim, had this beautiful pocket watch that he's gotten. It was handed down to him from his father. And it was his pride and joy. And as Christmas season came along, they didn't have any money. They were very poor. And they wondered how could they buy their spouse what they had wanted, something meaningful for Christmas. Della thought, you know what I'll do? I'll cut off my hair and I'll sell it so that I can buy Jim a chain for his pocket watch. And Jim said, what can I do to buy Della that beautiful comb she's been wanting for her beautiful hair? And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll sell my pocket watch to buy that comb. And you know the story, right? And they come, and here they find out one gives the present of the comb, and her hair is gone. One gives the present of the chain, and the watch is gone. And what must have transpired from there, I don't know. But things were put into perspective, were they not? But giving all selfishly, that was how Mary rolled. That was how, how Mary functioned. Christmas is all about giving all. And loving Jesus is about giving all, no matter how foolish it may seem to the wise. Mary, she was extravagant in showing her love for Jesus. In verse 3, of chapter 12, it says, Mary then took a pound. It was a Roman pound, so 12 ounces. Mary took 12 ounces, a pound of very costly perfume of, of pure nard. Now, it told us there that 300 denarii, that, that's 300 days of wages. So in essence, a whole year's supply or a whole year's salary to buy this perfume, to buy this this, this uh, spice or this, this um, perfume, yeah, uh, of nard is what it is. And so she took the whole year's salary to, to, to buy this. And she didn't hold back. She gave it all and dumped it all completely 
on Jesus. In fact, Mark's account of this event, Mark says that she, she broke the vial. There was no putting it back into the vial. She was all in. She was fully committed. Mary wasn't being practical. <laughs> Love never is, is it? Love never is, is it? Not only was Mary extravagant, but she was also unselfconscious. She was also unselfconscious. Mary seemed to lack pride to a fault. Not only did she spend a year's worth of salary on Jesus in one evening, she also didn't care what others thought about it. Verse 3 also tells us that, that she was, well, in this context or in this day would have been very inappropriate, very inappropriate. In verse 3, it says that, that Mary dumped this costly perfume on the feet of Jesus, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped him with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And you already know much has been made about the idea that women were not allowed to, or, or, or a respectable woman would have not allowed her hair to be hanging down, and here she is with, with this group of, of mixed um, genders in this room, and, and she lets her hair down, obviously, uh, to wipe the feet of Jesus here, and which would have been very appropriate. And I think it'd probably be very inappropriate even for us today, but, but Mary didn't seem to care. She took, in fact, what, what, what Corinthians would tell us is that, that a woman's long hair was given to her as a covering for her glory. A woman's long hair is for, is for her glory uh, that God has given her. And she took this and she let it flow down and wiped the feet of Jesus uh, with, with that. So Mary didn't seem to have what we would say in, in at least Cheryl and I's context. Now, you probably don't know this, but, but Cheryl will probably pick up on this. But, but she had no shemel, right? I mean, that was bad. But what, she, didn't, she didn't have any shame, and she didn't seem to care about it. She, I mean, sometimes when somebody makes that comment, it's made in such a way, the way we were, grew up, that, that somebody's doing something that, wow, if they actually had a little bit of self-conscious, they wouldn't do that. Well, that was, must have been Mary. Mary didn't have that because Mary was completely sold out to God. And I'm sure when Martha observed what was happening, Martha did not approve. I doubt Martha approved. Martha, I suppose, was very prim and proper of the two. And when she's seen that, I doubt she was. I, I thought about that for just a moment of what was Mary doing? And my mind was taken back to last week when we looked at Caiaphas in the, in the uh, chapter uh, 11, verse 51. And I might put it before you just again so you, you remember. Remember that Caiaphas said that it's better, it's more expedient that one person die instead of all the other folks die. And so verse 51 says, now he did not say this on his own initiative, but, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that. And so, so Caiaphas said something that he didn't realize what he was saying and what it actually, what it actually meant. And I think maybe the same was going on for, for Mary here, because in, in chapter 12, verse 3, I wonder, did Mary understand what she was doing? Did she understand, as Jesus said a few verses later, that she was anointing him for burial? Did Mary understand what she was doing? Because this is exactly the practice of the day. You take this costly perfume, you take these spices, you anoint the body, you wrap the body with these spices for burial. You prepare. You don't do that while they're still living. And yet I think we can also learn a good, a good example there that... Um, 
that we should do for those that are living what we would do for them after they're gone, right? I mean, many people can live with that type of regret, but, but Mary here is anointing Jesus' body before his birth. And I, and I wonder if Mary knew. And I think Mary might have known just a little bit. Mary, she was a reflective type. She was a contemplative type. Mary was, all, Martha was always go, go, go. Busy, 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 busy. And Mary, Mary was seemingly always sitting at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, verse 39, uh, Martha had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his every word. I, I doubt Mary completely understood. But I do think that Mary knew that there was something different about Jesus. There was something different about this trip to Jerusalem. I do think that Mary sensed something because of her contemplative spirit that she, that she seemed to have, have within her. Mary spent time sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening in the moment, hanging on, as what Mark had said, hanging on to every word that Jesus had said. Now, we certainly don't want to be critical of Martha because thank God for Martha's. But the busyness of life, when we go, 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 do we have time to just sit at the feet of Jesus? And I don't want to get, I don't want to spiritualize it too much, but I think there's an application that we can gather from here that, that are we so busy that we have no time to sit at the feet of Jesus? Are we so busy that we have no time to, to read our Bibles? Are we so busy? that we have no time to spend time in prayer? Are we so busy that we can't take an hour a week and gather together such, a, such as this? Busyness. Busyness has a way of distracting us in a way that we may not completely be able to hear the voice of Jesus. But I want you to come back here to verse 3. In that last little line, And it says that as she anointed the feet of Jesus with this pure nard, that the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I wonder, again, thinking of the holiday season, I guess, or any time, is there a better smell than when you walk in the house and you smell the turkey, you smell the ham, you smell the pumpkin pie, you smell whatever it is. Is there anything more inviting than to walk into a dinner and to smell that cooking food, right? You can smell it now, fresh baked bread, stuffing, all those things that we look forward to when we have these dinners. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, For that we, we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. So, so, so what am I saying? Well, what I'm saying is this. If you're a Martha, and then be a Martha. If you're a Mary, then, then be a Mary. Because I think as, as what, the, what John has recorded for us, that the whole house was filled with the aroma of what Mary did to Jesus. But this was a dinner that Martha was cooking. I am also quite certain the house was filled with the dinner that Martha was working hard on preparing. And I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. If you're a Martha, be a Martha. If you're a Mary, be a Mary. But then there's this other guy. He's kind of a downer. 
There's the one at every dinner party, and that's Judas Iscariot. He's one of the chosen 12. He's one of the chosen 12. He's one of the disciples. Jesus knew Judas. Jesus knew how Judas was, and Jesus still chose Judas or Judas for that reason. Judas chose re, Jesus chose Judas for a reason and for a purpose. In John chapter 6, verses 70 and 71, Jesus' word says, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve who was going to betray him. Now that's a sobering thought. God chooses those with the ability to serve his purpose, even if his purpose is betrayal, right? I mean, God chose Judas for this particular reason. Now, I want to learn a little something from Judas. And Judas, he had an obvious gift, right? He wasn't made the treasurer because he didn't lack in accounting skills. He was chosen as a treasurer exactly for those gifts that he had. He was good with money. Why else would have Jesus chosen him to be the treasurer? We... We can become conceited with our God-given gifts. And I think this is a warning that we can take here from Judas. Just this past week, another pastor, it seems like we hear this constantly, someone from the Christian community has to step down from leadership for some type of failure. I mean, gifted people, gifted communicators, gifted leaders who maybe that giftedness gets away from them. It puts them in a place of, of they feel they're untouchable, if it will. B.F. Westcott has this to say. Um, he said, temptation commonly comes through that for which we are naturally fitted. Temptation commonly comes through that for which we are naturally fitted. Whatever it is that you are gifted in or with can also be your demise. And I think that's what we see here with Judas. I think Judas was so blinded by his gift that he lost his way. Is Jesus worth spending one year's salary on? Mary took something that cost a whole year's worth of salary and spent it upon Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, to the extent you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it. You did it to me. You did it to me. Judas was so fixated, so focused on his gift in finances that he completely lost, he completely missed the beauty of Mary's humility 
Mary's true love for Jesus. I wonder when we become critical of someone else's giftings, we shouldn't stop and ask why that that is. Why that is. I, I also want to um, just really briefly look here at the those uninvited guests because I think we've got something to learn from, from them also here this morning. Um, these who just showed up at the dinner party in verse 9, it was a large crowd of the Jewish people who then learned that Jesus was there, and, and they came, and they didn't come just for Jesus' sake, but, but they also came for the show, right? They also came to the carnival. Hey, look, look at this guy who was raised from the dead. They didn't just come to see Jesus. They, they, they came for the show, right? They came to see this guy who was, who was raised from the dead. And this type of celebration, though, This type of event, this type of occurrence in verse 10, it must be shut down. The Jewish people, the the leaders, the the self-righteous religious people, they said, we must shut this kind of thing down because as they came to see not only Jesus but also Lazarus, it tells us that many of them came to believe in, in, in Jesus. And so this type of thing must be shut down. This type of thing must be silenced. And so what they already said, they, the plan, their, their desire was, okay, we're going to kill Jesus, and so we can't just kill Jesus. We've got to kill this guy that he also rose from the dead, so they were also going to do away with, with Lazarus. And I think the reason here, we've got, we've got two, and, and, and you know the first, of course, is it was threatening their political views, right? I mean, they, they, had, they had some power that was given to them by, by the Roman government, and, and that could be taken away if there was some type of perceived to be uprising uh, from another community such as this. And so they had that, that, that point of view that they had their self-interest of power and control in place. And, and then the second is also they, it was threatening their theology, right? right? I mean, the, the, the chief priests, the priests were all part of the Sadducees. Well, what do you know about the Sadducees? They didn't even believe in such a thing. They didn't think anybody's ever going to be raised from the dead. Well, here it was proof that somebody has been raised from the dead. And so, so this was messing with their theology also as they, as they seen Lazarus. They, I mean, they were in quite the quagmire here. So what, what do they do? Well, obviously, they must destroy the evidence, must suppress the truth, when the truth gets in the way of our power and of our passions, when the truth gets in the way of how I want to live, when the truth gets in the way of, of my comforts, we fight against that. There was a story told of a, of a very wealthy businessman, well up in his years now, and, and he, um, he always thought, felt called to be a preacher, felt called to be a pastor, but it seemed as though those doors were never opened to him. But down the street, there was a mission from his nice office building. There was, a, there was a mission that was run. And so he would go there in the evenings at night when it was closed for the pastor who ran the place there. And he would mop the floors and clean up and do all those things. And, and when it was found out who it was that done it, that done it, they said, well, surely you could have just hired somebody, somebody else to do it. Could have you not? You could have certainly just hired somebody to do the, the janitorial work. You didn't have to go down and, and do those things, did you? No one knew about it, but when they found out, he said that he wanted to serve his God, and so he did. He said, if I can't be, or if God obviously didn't call me to be the pastor, to be the preacher that he felt called to do all the time, he would support the one that he has, that he has called, that he has called. I mean, what a, I don't know if the story is true or not, but it does teach us a point, does it not, that, you know, that we need to support 
those. We need to not fight against some of the things that go against our our wishes and our desires as we we see here as these self-righteous religious people were doing. But we must keep in mind that, that God is doing a work, that God is doing a work, and He doesn't need our help, but He wants to partner with us. So if our focus is on Jesus, it doesn't really matter what we do, does it? doesn't matter for Martha. doesn't matter for Mary. doesn't matter what we do. An interesting little thing also that Jesus says here and says that, you know, Judas, you always have the poor. The poor will always, always be among you, but, but you, don't, you don't always have, have me in verses 6 and 8. You, don't, you're, you know, I'm not always here, but, but the poor always was. And John tells us that Judas wasn't concerned about the poor. That wasn't where he was. He didn't care about the poor people. Well, probably because he wasn't necessarily caring about the poor people in the then and the now, but he just was using that as his excuse, as his excuse. And so I don't know uh, what we can exactly learn from, from these three characters, but maybe, maybe something was here. And I guess the point that I was trying to make as I had a few thoughts there is, is that if you're a Martha, then, then, then be a Martha. If, if you're a, a Mary, then, then, then be a Mary. But also we must be careful of the giftings that God has given us as we learn from Judas, that we don't allow our giftedness, our giftedness to distract us from our relationship, our most important relationship, and that is Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've gifted each one of us in different ways. Father, may we live into our giftedness. And may we use those not for our own glorification, not for our own edification, but, Father, to bring you honor and glory in all that we do. And so, Father, if, if we are a Mary, then, then help us to be a Mary with all our heart. If we, if we are a Martha, then, then help us to be a Martha with all our heart. And Father, may all that we do or say, may it be to bring you honor and glory. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.